0: Oh, God, that's the lift of the everlasting gospel. It's not over. There's a place, a destination at the end of this journey. But here we are at the beginning of a new year. We're ready to go. God, do whatever it takes this new year. The best year we've ever lived on this planet. That's what we're humbly asking. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. I'd like to introduce to you a friend of mine that I have been carrying in the wallet of my mind since I was a kid. It's a picture. First time I saw this picture, I said, that's it. That's my man. I want to put him on the screen for you. I took, it a, I took a picture just this last week with my phone in a book I own at home. You probably don't recognize who that is. But that is our man, Noah. Look at him. Don't you just love that picture? Beard three feet long. His hands tense. His fingers curled. And notice the reaction he's getting from everybody around him. Yeah, everybody's just laughing, just mocking him. You know why? Because for 120 years, he's been preaching to everybody that the end of the world is coming. Get up! You see the sunshine, you think you have a hundred years of sunshine left. You don't have a hundred years of sunshine left. This baby's coming to an end. Don't be foolish. Don't be a fool. God has told me to tell you, we're near the end. I'll be on my way one of these days, and you must be too. Why would a kid choose Noah to be a childhood hero? Oh, I suppose. It's just the hot spot of the moment, the guy that has guts. Doesn't care who you are or what you stand for, he's going to tell it like it is. Unafraid of a message, entrusted to him. The world's coming to an end, get ready. It's the Noah generation. And I've been thinking, how many Noahs do we have? I sat behind the president. Boy, did she do a great job uh, this last Thursday, opening convocation. And I looked out over this sea of young faces, handsome faces, beautiful faces, and I wondered to myself, are there any Noahs in this generation... You know what? (laughs) Please, let's be honest. Countercultural. Ooh. Way countercultural. Doom and gloom. Ooh. Who wants to be a part of that? And yet, somebody, somebody has to tell the world, I'll be on my way soon. And you can be, too. Noah. Ah, we all know the story of Noah and how it begins. Few of us know how the story ends, and so here's what we're going to do. We're going to push, we are going to get the bookends of his life. We're going to push him right up smack dab against each other. Take one line from the beginning, one line from the ending. There will be a sweet, short, but stunning truth that emerges. Check it out for yourself. Open your Bible with me, please. Genesis chapter 6. The Book of Beginnings, Genesis, chapter 6. Let's go. Just one line from the beginning. We'll pull another line out of the ending. Let's ask the question, then, what does this mean? Genesis, chapter 6. You didn't bring a Bible, grab the pew Bible in front of you. You know where Genesis is, and you can find 6. Now, I'm going to be in the NIV, so that's, that's what's going to be on the screen. Genesis, chapter 6, the beginning. Just one line we'll do. Verse 8. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. The old King James reads, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. You ever hear that spiritual? Have you guys sung that spiritual? Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And he landed high and dry. You know that one? Good. (laughs) Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. You know what? It's a good thing that line is at the beginning. If there's going to be any hope for Noah in the ending, it's going to be that line. Put it up one more time on the screen for us, please. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Now let's go to the ending. Come on. I said two bookends, short and sweet and stunning. Here comes the end bookend. Just a line from that. Just turn a page. Now you're in Genesis chapter 9. Good. Genesis chapter 9, verse 20. And Noah, a man of the soil, proceeded to plant a vineyard. You say, do I? <laughs> what's the big, big deal about that? Is there something wrong with planting the vineyard? No, there's nothing wrong at all. God invented vineyards. In fact, if you live here in southwestern Michigan, as we all do right now, there's no more glorious place on Earth than this little swath of rich, succulent ah, vineyards. You know the story. But we need, obviously, more than that one line, so let's add one more line to it. Okay, we read verse 20 again. Noah, a man of the soil, proceeded to plant a vineyard, and when he drank some of its wine, he became drunk and lay uncovered inside his tent. Go figure. Uncovered. Euphemism for naked. Drunk. Soused. Because that's precisely what's going on here. And by the way, yes, this is the great man of God who found grace in the eyes of the Lord and was raised up by God to save the human race by preserving, just please, a sample of them, because the universal flood will destroy this entire planet, and we're going to begin this whole experiment all over again, and you're my man. This is the same Noah, naked and drunk in a tent, the last line of his life. (laughs) This is it. There's no other story to him. This is it. Man. Victim of alcohol consumption. The first victim in the Bible of alcoholic inebriation. In other words, the Bible's first drunk. And he ends up, get this, he ends up in the Bible Hall of Faith, Hall of Fame, Walk of Fame, whatever you want to call it, he has a star in it. Hebrews chapter 11. In fact, Hebrews 11, here's the line. Put it on the screen here. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. Keep reading. By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. This same Noah, the drunk in the tent... Peter comes along and immortalizes him with the, with the description there in, in 2 Peter chapter 2. Noah, preacher of righteousness. Can you believe that? Naked and drunk in his tent. Now, listen. Before we jump too hastily to conclusions, and by the way, that's the only exercise some people get, jumping to conclusions. But before we do, we need to go deeper into this vineyard, okay? Let's dig a little deeper. Jacques Ducan, our friend, professor, seminary. in his new commentary on the book of Genesis makes a point I had never seen before. I'm going to flip it up on the screen for you because I want you to see it as well. Noah's first act, get this, Noah's first act outside the ark connects him to Adam. Well, he had the altar, but after the altar, just the normal day life, he plants a vineyard. That's his first act. Now, keep reading. For Noah's story of planting a vineyard contains numerous parallels with the story of Adam in the Garden of Eden. Watch this. I put the little numbers in. Here comes parallel number one. Like Adam, Noah eats of the fruit. True or false? True. Okay, here comes number two. And as a result of his actions, Noah's nakedness, of which he is not aware, is revealed. Was Adam naked, and then he found out he was naked? Yep. Okay. Parallel number three. And a covering is provided. Oh, yep. We have that in both stories. And finally, number four. Both stories end the same way, with a curse and a blessing. Isn't that something? Adam and Noah. The point is profound. Moses, the writer of Genesis, is carefully constructing Noah's fall into drunkenness to parallel Adam's fall into sin. Which is a huge hint how God regards Noah's alcoholic consumption. S-I-N, the kids can spell it. Sin. Jacques Ducan, again, on the screen. The parallels between wine drinking and the eating of the forbidden fruit subtly suggest a warning against that temptation. A divine indictment may also be implied by the very fact that the first drinking recorded in the Bible is associated with shame and a curse. And guess what? So is the second drinking in the Bible, because there we have the two daughters of Lot who get him drunk with wine. They get him drunk with wine so that the girls can and sleep with their daddy one at a time, and both, through incest, give give birth to two little boys. And it all started with drinking. That's the second drinking in the Bible. (laughs) Stuff happens when your mind is under the influence. Listen carefully. Statistics show that most date rapes happen under the influence. And wouldn't you know it just this week... The famed British medical journal, The Lancet, comes out with a study that stuns the world. I'll put the BBC headline for this study on the screen. BBC headline, No Alcohol Safe to Drink Global Study Confirms. And then here's the subtitle, Bad News for Those Who Enjoy What They Think is a Healthy Glass of Wine a Day. (laughs) On the screen again, take a look. A large new... This is BBC now. A large new global study. It's called the Global Burden of Disease Study, published in The Lancet, has confirmed previous research which has shown that there is no safe level for alcohol consumption. The researchers admit Moderate drinking may protect against heart disease, but they found that the risk of cancer and other diseases outweighs these protections. A study author said its findings were the most significant to date because of the range of factors considered. The Global Burden of Disease study started in the UK, United Kingdom. They studied 195 different nations. Between 1990 and 2016, they analyzed data from 15-year-olds to 95-year-olds, and then the researchers compared people who did not drink at all with those who had one alcoholic drink a day, end quote. Amazing. Conclusion. No amount of alcohol is a safe amount. Let's we make... An unwarranted conclusion. This new series we begin right now, Tales from a Vineyard, is hardly advocating that we all make the tragic mistake Noah did of drinking fermented grape juice. But apparently one of Noah's boys found it rather funny to see his daddy there lying sprawled, drunk and naked, and with a sneer went and found his two older brothers, that would be Ham, looking for Shem and Japheth, and telling them I want you to read that story because it's right here. Verse 21. We'll read it again. And when he, Noah, drank some of its wine, he became drunk, and he lay uncovered inside the tent. Now, verse 22, Ham, the father of Canaan, saw his father naked and told his two brothers outside. But, verse 23, Shem and Japheth took a garment and laid it across their shoulders. Then they walked in backward and covered their father's naked body. Their faces turned the other way so that they would not see their father naked. Verse 24, but when Noah awoke from his wine and found out what his youngest son had done, he said, cursed be Canaan, the lowest of slaves will he be to his brothers. We cannot let this moment, this is as close as we'll ever get, and we cannot let it slip without correcting a tragic misunderstanding of Noah's curse after he awakens from his stupor. Through centuries, Christians have seized this very passage to justify the slave trade in Africa, where descendants of Ham, most of them will migrate, or the practices of apartheid in South Africa. But there is not a shred of biblical support for such racist views. In fact, let me show you what's going on here. You'll you'll see it in a split second. Jacques Ducan on the screen again. Our failure to honor the past that produced us... You see, he didn't honor his father. He did not honor his father. He mocked his father. Don't you ever mock your mother. Don't you ever mock your father. I don't care how they've treated you. Honor your father and mother. It's one of the eternal ten. Ham broke the law. Our failure to honor the past that produced us oh, this is dynamite, affects the future that we shall produce. In other words, Ham dishonored his father, and Noah awakens, and prophetically, like all the patriarchs can do, Noah peers into the future, and he sees that Ham's son, Canaan, would repeat the sin of his father and would have dishonor until finally Canaan, in spades... Throws the eternal law completely out. Some of the worst practices of the then known world came out of the land of Canaan. And the writer of, the writer of Genesis is wanting the reader to know, look it, this is where it starts. But the curse is on Canaan. And he stayed in Palestine. Now, Jacques Khan, one more line. The fact that the curse is restricted to Canaan and is not generalized to all the descendants of Ham demonstrates the falsity of those through history who have used this passage to support racism against those of African descent. Significantly, the curse focuses on Canaan, Ham's son, probably because the author has in mind some of the unnatural practices of the Canaanites. Just read the book of Genesis beyond Genesis 9. You'll see exactly what's up terrible injustice in the name of a total misunderstanding of a biblical passage. <laughs> That's the life of Noah. We took the bookend from the beginning. We slid it up close to the bookend at the end. What's the bookend at the beginning? Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. What's the bookend at the end? And he became drunk and lay uncovered inside his tent. So, here's the question. How shall we resolve this contradiction Could it be that the answer is found in the vineyard Noah planted? Noah, who loved the feeling, the chalky feeling of dirt beneath his fingernails. You're a city slicker. Slicker, you have absolutely no concept of that. Neither do I. Noah, who planted this vineyard and then strolled the aisles. City slickers, as, as we are, who here has walked down an aisle, rolling aisle of a vineyard? I had never been close to a vineyard until we moved to this beautiful corner of southwestern Michigan. And then I had the joy of walking up and down these aisles. And I'm telling you what, guys, we're just days away from rolling down your car window and smelling it all over Berrien County. It will be the smell of Concord grapes who have hit their peak. There's nothing like it in the world. We took our cameras and our crew to one of the vineyards here in Berrien County. Eighty-eight acres of vineyard, I might add. And there we met my friends Robin and Mary Ann, who live nearby. And here's a portion of our conversation with Jose, the master gardener of the vineyard and Robin. We'll roll it on the, we'll roll it on the screen for you right now. We're standing in what has to be one of the most beautiful spots here in southwestern michigan i'm standing here with my friends robin and jose and gentlemen we are in the midst of a vineyard this is a real live vineyard you know most of us most of us have never lived near a vineyard and every year the university harvests this right and who picks up the grapes well the university harvests And all the grapes go to Welch's, so... You're talking about Welch's, the juice company. The juice company that Uh was actually started by a pastor to create juice for communion. So Welch's gets all of this. Mm -hmm. Andrews University's vineyard. Really, this is God's vineyard, right? Yeah, it is. This is God's vineyard. Because the produce all goes for God's mission. Amen. Yeah. Now we're standing by a vine, Jose. Right here, yeah. Yeah, and and you just told me the age. I couldn't believe it. How old is that vine? This uh, I'm pretty sure is like a sixty years old. We have the gnarly old vine. This is not really a, an attractive picture. No, no, it's not. Yeah, show us where the branches come out of the vine. You know, like uh, right here. You so know, that's see this? A branch. Yeah, it's a yeah. branch. You know. So. Oh, this is a branch up here yeah. as well. Okay, then what are these? Well, this is a runner. So we look for the good runner just to to leave it, you know, for next year. Prune mm-hmm. it and uh, produces good fruit. So in this juncture, we've got branches coming together, but the vine, how essential is that vine? It's very essential. A, a branch can survive on its own? No, if we cut it and we wrap it in the ground, it's for sure it's going to die. It needs to be connected with the plant, you know, just to survive. That's amazing to me that God takes this, this plant and he makes the point... All the way through scripture. Vine, branch, vineyard, and fruit. And plus also we have to stay connected with God. Oh, I like that. And otherwise we cannot make it. Our spiritual things, you know, needs to be connected with God. And otherwise we cannot make it either, you know, so. Yeah, amen. Yeah. Thank you, Jose. Yeah. You're not only a gardener, you're a good preacher. Oh, man. Yep, gardener Jose is absolutely right. I want, you to show, I want to show you what he's referring to. Uh, to find, we go to the New Testament now. I want you to find John 15, because he's, he's gone straight to John 15. John 15, red letters in my red-letter Bible. In less than 24 hours, when Jesus speaks these words, find John 15. When he speaks these words in less than 24 hours, he's dead and gone. I'll be on my way. He's gone. He's dead. He slipped out of Jerusalem with the 11 disciples that are left. And in the, it's always full moon at Passover. So, in the light of that silver moon, he stops by a trellis and he says, Hey, guys, look at this. And his hand reaches over, and in the light of the full moon, they get it. So, this is John 15. John chapter 15, verse 1. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. Look at it, guys. I'm this. That gnarly vine, that's me. And my father is Jose. Yeah, but where are we in this story? I'll drop down to verse 5. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain or abide in me, and I in you, you will bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. I am the vine. Put that on the screen, please. I am the vine, and you are the branches. And that was the point Jose the gardener was making. The only way for a branch to fulfill its destiny is to stay connected to the vine. The only way for a branch to produce this luscious, juicy fruit is to remain connected with the vine. I'm the vine. You're the branches. If you abide in me and I in you, guess what? We got it, man. We got it, girl. We got fruit. And that's the whole purpose of a vineyard. You got to have fruit. I promise you. Jesus says to us, yo, Dwight, question, okay, what? Well, Noah, was Noah connected to, connected to the vine? Answer, Answer, of course, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Yeah, but question, 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 can there be grace when you have fallen in a drunken stupor like Noah did? Answer, yes. Question, can you prove it? Answer, yes, I can. Put it on the screen for you, Romans chapter 5. Look at this, verse 20. Ah, oh, that's a great line. In fact, I wish we'd, we'd read this out loud together. Come on, Romans 5, verse 20. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. Where there's sin, there's grace. Now, look at it in the King James. Where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Oh good, Dwight, question. Then we can, just, we can just go on drinking and sinning all we want, can't we? Answer no. Look at the next very next line, Romans chapter 6, verse 1. What should we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. Yeah, but Dwight, question again, please, then why did Noah fall if he's connected to the vine? answer because he allowed himself to become disconnected to the vine. That's the only way you fall. You see, Noah, and you and I, we have a mutual enemy. His name is Satan, and he is 24-7 with all his hellish fury trying to find a way. Sever, cut, 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 dis, 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 disconnect, disconnect, disconnect. That's all he wants. He spends his whole life trying to disconnect a friend of Jesus from the vine. That's why Paul, in fact, admits as much. You can never go on vacation from Jesus, even for a night, even for a weekend. You can't say, okay, Jesus, this weekend, I'm disconnecting. You can't disconnect and live. Uh, listen to Paul. This is his point right here. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 26 and 27. He t- takes the sports metaphor. Therefore, he says, I do not run like somebody running aimlessly in the Olympics. I do not fight. I do not box like a man beating the air. No, I discipline my body and I make it my slave, so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Isn't that amazing? The greatest Christian who ever lived says, "No, man, it's full court press the whole way. I can never back out. I can never let down. You're never on vacation from Jesus. Disconnect is death. Connect is life." Now, I'm going to make a point. Some of you are a little bit older in this room, and I want you to get it, please. Noah, near the end of his life, down. Moses, right near the end of his life, down. Elijah, near the end of his ministry, down. John the Baptist, near his beheading, down. What's going on? Somebody, 24-7, is waiting for you to step out with nothing on, just naked you. Gotcha. And Noah that day was naked spiritually. No armor. No protection. I want to say to those of you who have earned the right to have white hair or a bald head, just because you followed Jesus all these years... Doesn't mean now you can become careless in your pursuit of holiness. Now you can become careless in your connection with Jesus. Are you kidding? The closer you get to what Joshua just sang a moment ago, Josh, didn't you sing it? Well, I'm on my way. I'll be on my way. The closer you get to being on your way, the tighter you need to be. I'm, I'm telling you the truth. The tighter you have to be with Jesus. He's not going to force you into a, some kind of half Nelson lock. It'll be free choice. You'll choose to stay connected with him. You can never take a vacation. Ah, oh, Dwight, this is such this is such rotten news. <laughs> it's not rotten. <laughs> it's the facts of life, guys. You just can't take a vacation. You got a problem with that? Actually, it's the very best news you can imagine. The very goodest news that Jesus could give us is found right here. Put the word on the Put the line on the screen again from Noah's beginning. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. One blotch, one blotch, one letting your guard down, and that stays with your story. I understand that. Noah's ending. Nobody papered over it. And by the way, if you want to know the authenticity of the Word of God, it's because it does that. No whitewashing in this book. It always exposes the reality. But the very good news, in spite of that blot, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. You know why? Because if you look at the vine... Did you notice that a moment ago we were looking at the vine? I always thought these vines... Seriously, I thought they were just these nice little rolling... You know, you're weaving into a little bit of tapestry, and the, and the grapes grow. No, no, no. Did you notice how gnarly, how ugly that wood was? It's dry. Sixty years that vine has been growing. Nothing pretty about that wood, but that wood produces a red liquid and the red liquid is what everybody wants Jesus stops in that silver light and he says hey guys I'm the vine you're the branches you'll see the red tomorrow she who abides in me he who abides in me I don't care what your life has been I promise you fresh new beginning, scars forever. It's the gospel. It's Calvary. That's this vine. Jose the gardener is absolutely right. We must remain, his last words, we must remain connected to Jesus. We must remain connected to the vine. And so the, the Savior, your Savior right now, with nail scars in his hands, stands in front of you. Pretend like there's nobody sitting in front of you. It's just the Savior standing there. He stands with his nail-scarred, hands outstretched in front of you. And you know what he's saying? He's, He's speaking the truth of the vine. I am the vine. You are the branch. You abide in me, and I abide in you, and you will bring forth much fruit. So the question to be asked on this launching of a new year is this. Are you connected? Are you connected to the vine? Are you connected to Jesus? Some of you have never been connected to him, not in any sort of official, I'm telling myself I'm connected to Jesus sort of way. Some of you, it's been an up, in, up and down, up and down, in and out, off again, on again. Would you like to just stay? Would you, just, would you like to just stay connected? I'm going to give you a way, and then I'll sit down. It's a simple way. You'll first blush, brush, brush it off as, ah, too simple. No, it's not too simple. Here's the, here's, here's the way. Every day, every morning, when you start the day, every morning, a simple prayer. I'm going to put the prayer on the screen for you. Lord Jesus, I want you to abide in me, and I want to abide in you. Isn't that simple? I'm going to invite you to say it out loud with me, will you? Please? Let's do it out loud. Lord Jesus, I want you to abide in me, and I want to abide in you. It's such a simple prayer. You pray it in the morning. Pray it at noon. When you're at the cafeteria, pray it at noon. Eating at a restaurant. Eating at home. Not eating at all. At noon, pray the same prayer. Lord Jesus, I want you to abide in me, and I want to abide in you, please. Three times a day, morning, noon, and then at the night before going to bed, no matter how the day is gone, Lord Jesus, you abide in me, and I abide in you. That's what I want. Every day. Do you know what? When you pray that prayer, listen, when you pray that prayer, you are asking for the baptism of the Holy Spirit on the spot because that's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. When He shows up, you think He talks about Himself? Are you kidding? When He shows up in your heart, in your mind, he's... The, the immediate sense you have is that Jesus is connected. Jesus has just connected with me. I am connected to Jesus right now. The Holy Spirit never says, look at me. He always says, keep your eyes on Jesus. Just keep your eyes on Jesus. Lord Jesus, I want you to abide in me and I want to abide in you. You pray that prayer daily, you will experience the daily baptism of the Holy Spirit. Daily. It's that simple. It's the gospel truth. It's this simple. So this new year, why not pray that prayer?